hppodcraft.com. On the third day of rain, they had killed so many crabs inside the house that Paleo had to cross his drenched courtyard and throw them into the sea because the newborn child had a temperature all night and they thought it was due to the stench. The world had been sad since Tuesday. Sea and sky were a single ash-gray thing and the sands of the beach, which on March nights glimmered like powdered light, had become a stew of mud and rotten shellfish. The light was so weak at noon that when Paleo was coming back to the house after throwing away the crabs, it was hard for him to see what it was moving and groaning in the rear of the courtyard. He had to go very close to see that it was an old man, a very old man, lying face down in the mud who, in spite of his tremendous efforts, couldn't get up, impeded by his enormous wings. That was the intro paragraph from Gabriel Garcia Marquez's short tale, A Very Old Man with Enormous Wings. And we're talking about it here on the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast. I'm Chad Pfeiffer. And I'm Chris Lackey. We're here at hppodcraft.com and Patreon. Thank you so much, folks, for subscribing on Patreon. I hope you liked that last episode with Patton Oswalt. Yeah. As he mentioned near the end of that episode, he will be back in a couple of months to uh, talk more Michael Shea. Yeah. I think those shows will probably start coming out in December. Maybe. December or January. We'll see. But in the meantime, we've got all kinds of awesome stuff to fill your ears with. We're going to be finally releasing that full Whisper and Darkness reading this October. Yes. Featuring Andrew Lehman. It's very long, yeah. but we'll release it in three parts. Mm-hmm. And you can put that in your ears for the Halloween season. Yeah. I also believe for October we're doing Blocktober once again, right? Yeah, we're back on Blocktober. I can't wait for Robert Block. That's right. And this time we're going to tackle his mythos novel, Strange Eons. Right. It's time to get back to some solid Lovecraft Circle business, so that's what we're going to be doing in October. But this month, I figured that since we kicked off with Copping Squid, we'd uh, stick to a nautical theme and we'd have uh, Squid Timber. Uh, so how did you stumble onto the story, Pfeiffer? This was recommended by listener John Hartwell in May of last year. Oh. Uh, he also recommended Three Skeleton Key by George G. Todos, which we will be covering next week. Oh. So, see folks, we do listen to your suggestions. It can take us a while, but we keep them all in a file, and that's where this came from. We were doing uh, Creatures from the Black Lagoon or something like that. He said, <laughs> I don't know if you're doing that again, but here's some nautical themed stories, and, and that's why we're bringing them in here in Squid Timber. That reader that we heard at the top is none other than actor and show favorite Andrew Staten. Oh, I love Andrew. You can see Andrew in the movie The Toy Box, which mm-hmm. will be available on digital blu-ray and dvd september 18th it's got uh, misha barton and denise richard as andrew explains it a family takes a used rv out on a road trip and things go awry when it breaks down with no other shelter accessible in the middle of the desert oh it's basically a haunted house movie but the house is the rv (laughs) so i'm totally down for that it sounds cool yeah and since it's called the toy box i'll also assume that it's a great movie for children yeah uh so you'll want to stream that for the little ones when it comes out and just leave the room They'll be fine. They'll be okay. The subtitle of this story, A Very Old Man with Enormous Wings, is actually a story for children. Oh. This is supposed to be geared towards kids as well, but I don't know <laughs> if I agree with that one. I don't think so. Any more than I really think that the toy box is a is a children's movie. But what do we what do we know about this author? Gabriel Gabe Garcia Marquez. I don't know if anybody actually called him Gabe, but I think they called him Gabo. Gabo, oh, okay. It's, it's kind of Spanish for Gabe. <laughs> So you're, you're right. <laughs> I'm pretty close there. Uh, so in 1927, he was born in Colombia. He was a bit of a nerd as a kid. He liked to write comedic poetry and draw comic strips. And he wasn't an athlete at all. That, I could totally relate. I'm, I'm on his side. I'm like, this is a kindred <laughs> soul. But then guess what? As he got older, he got into sports. What? Traitor. <laughs> he was the team captain in soccer, baseball, and track. They didn't have a comedic poetry team at his school, I guess. <sighs> 
no. He should have started one. <laughs> when he got older, he studied law, but he was really into writing fiction. He was heavily influenced by uh, La Metamorphosis by Kafka. He was into the type of stories that his grandfather told him, stories uh, in which he inserted extraordinary events and anomalies as if they were simply an aspect of everyday life. He continued with his law studies, mostly to please his father, but his school closed down following some bloody incidents that were kicked off by the assassination of Jorge Gaten. He then got a job at a newspaper. Uh, he was very politically active, uh, with very socialist leanings. His first novella, uh, The Leaf Storm, came out in 1955 in a collection with this story that we're covering today. And he, uh, since he was working at a newspaper, he was a journalist for a while, and he began in nonfiction. But he is best known for his novels, such as 100 Years of Solitude from 67, The Autumn of the Patriarch in 75, and Love in the Time of Cholera, which came out in 85. I've always been fascinated by that title, Love in the Time of Cholera. <laughs> Although I've never read the book, I do remember the movie came out, I think, around like... 2007 with Javier Bardem. Oh. Also, I did not see that either. But again, I was fascinated by the title. Uh, Marquez was awarded the 1972 Neustadt International Prize for Literature and the 1982 Nobel Prize in Literature. Yeah, Nobel Prize. He's a heavyweight. His works have achieved significant critical acclaim and widespread commercial success, most notably for popularizing a literary style known as magic realism, which uses magical elements and events in otherwise ordinary and realistic situations. Yeah. I've heard that term thrown around a lot of times. The editor Matthew Stretcher defines magic realism as... What happens when a highly detailed, realistic setting is invaded by something too strange to believe? You know, I've heard that term the most in reference to one of my favorite authors, Haruki Murakami, one of my favorite modern authors. Mm -hmm. uh, I've read his books Kafka on the Shore and The Wind-Up Bird Chronicle, and I'm mentioning those here because we'll probably never cover them. <laughs> but I wanted to put a plug in for, uh, for my guy, Haruki Murakami. Now, magic realism seems to occupy similar territory as weird fiction, so I think it's at home here. Yeah. The big difference is in the reactions of the characters. You know, Lovecraft was really into having a detailed, realistic setting mm -hmm. and environment, the way that it's described by that editor. But with magic realism, folks seem to just accept the weird thing. Mm -hmm. So it'd be like if Pikmin found a ghoul while walking home one night and he decided to bring it some milk. And soon everybody in the village was feeding the ghouls and it wasn't strange <laughs> at all. You know, something like that. Yeah. Instead of reacting with horror at the invasion, people just kind of accept that it's going on. Which is weird because then you don't know what aspects are actually weird in that environment. It, right. Well, yeah. So it, it it puts you in a very strange place. Yeah. W when you're reading it, which I, I enjoyed. I will. I like with it, this yeah. story. Yeah. Just finishing up his biography, Marquez died of pneumonia at age 87 in 2014. In 2014, and we did not mention him on the show that year. We have never mentioned him before. We had nothing to do with his death. <laughs> uh, Juan Manuel <laughs> Santos, the president of Colombia, called Marquez the greatest Colombian who ever lived. So take that, lady on Modern Family. This guy. <laughs> so uh, let's get into the story. Uh, it starts off with this guy, Palayo. He has a crab problem in his house, hmm. uh, which I'd never heard of this before. So I thought I would look it up. And uh, why don't you just go ahead and do a Google search on crab infestation and see what you get. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> I should have known better. But I think that this is kind of, this is giving us a little wink so that to tell us that we're in this different world, this alternate world. Yeah. I didn't know that this was the type of story when I sat down to read it. And I thought to yeah. myself, crab in, what? How, does that happen? Like maybe in places down by the beach? Yeah, I thought it might actually happen. As but... far as I could tell, it doesn't happen. But right. again, but again, it's tough. <laughs> do, do that to Google research. search and see if you can find up anything about uh, crab infestation. Crab infestation. We have a really cute infestation going on right now. Our neighbors, they got a kitten. Aww. And uh, we have an adjacent balcony to theirs. Yeah. And the kitten keeps vaulting over their balcony to mine and just invading the apartment <laughs> relentlessly. Aww. It really is. It's the cutest home invasion of all time. Aww. I'm happy when he... 
he breaks in here. But it is scary. Sometimes I'm just hanging out doing something and boom, kitten. <laughs> <laughs> crabs, on the other hand, would be a little creepier, I guess. Yeah. It totally depends on the size of the crabs. Yeah. Like if they were really tiny, that would be a little more like cockroaches or something. That would right. be creepy. But if they were big, it would just be delicious. <laughs> you know, knock those suckers out. They'd go right into the pot. There you go. Dinner serves itself. It's exactly. <laughs> uh, we have that great sentence. The world had been sad since Tuesday. Yeah. I love that. Uh, it's been raining and the whole of this beach town is gray from sea to sky. So many crabs have invaded the house and been killed that there's actually a stench from them. Yeah. And uh, Palayo has a newborn and the newborn has gotten sick, they think it might be due to the stench. They meaning Palayo and his wife, Alicenda. So Palayo uh, returns home from dealing with the crabs. Clears them out of the house and dumps them out in the ocean. And he finds that this old guy uh, with wings is lying in the mud, kind of in the courtyard behind his house. And he's got big wings, like angel wings. And this being Columbia, I don't believe they have X-Men. So <laughs> he's going to have to deal with this thing on his own. He can't just drive it by the mansion and drop it off with exactly. Professor X. Exactly, yeah. yeah. No, he can't do that. He gets his wife, and then they go outside and just kind of look over this old guy with wings. And he's really old, mostly bald. He's got, like, some wisps of hair, and his wings are like a buzzard's wings. And they're dirty and half-plucked. Actually, now he's kind of reminding me of the vulture a little bit. Yeah. Spider-Man. Yeah. In the comic books, not Michael Keaton from the movie. No, no. They finally talk to him, uh, but he responds in some language that they don't understand. But it says that he speaks with a strong sailor's voice. (laughs) And now when they discuss him, they kind of ignore the fact that he's got wings and they just come to the conclusion that he's a a shipwrecked sailor. Again, this kind of magic realism thing. So I guess, oh, so I guess guys with wings are not a big deal. But the neighbor lady comes over and she says, no, no, this guy's an angel. He must have come for your sick child. This neighbor lady, it says, they called in a neighbor woman who knew everything about life and death to see him. And I'm wondering if that description means she really does know a lot or she just opines like she knows everything right you know if it's like kind of a winker it's sarcastic but she is the one that says no this is an angel guy i thought biblically angels didn't have wings this is a an idea i don't know how i got this in my head a long time ago that that was all stuff from artists in you know the renaissance or something yeah so the first artist representation of angels with wings that they found is in the fourth century saint john christostom explained the significance of angel wings in art It says they manifest a nature's sublimity. That is why Gabriel is represented with wings. Not that angels have wings, but that you may know that they leave the heights and the most elevated dwellings to approach human nature. Accordingly, the wings are attributed to the powers have no meaning other than to indicate the sublimity of their nature. So I thought this was like a metaphor uh, and that people came to literally believe this. But then I go, you know what? Let me just do a quick... Google search on the Bible, and yeah, there are angels with wings in there. Oh. In, in Ezekiel, they've got cherub or cherubim. They've mm-hmm. got wings, and then the seraphim are said to have six wings, two wings that cover their face, two that cover their feet, and two to fly with. Oh, wow. And there's some angels That's weird. that have four faces and four wings. Well, that makes sense. <laughs> and then, <laughs> But uh, if you go to Hebrews uh, one fourteen, they say that angels are beings of spirit. They have no physical form whatsoever. Oh. So I guess the Bible might be up for some kind of interpretation. The Bible, yeah. please. Yeah. Interpretation? Yeah. <laughs> no, I really didn't think it ever mentioned them having wings in the Bible, so that's news to me as well. Yeah. I'll tell you this. One time I was in uh, college, I was busy, I think, looking at a book. I don't know what I used to stare at instead of the environment when I didn't have a cell phone, but... <laughs> Uh, I was doing something that was occupying my brain, and I stepped off the curb of the street, and a guy grabbed me and jerked me back onto the sidewalk and 
a car went right by. Wow. I mean, it was it would have hit me. Yeah. And I was so scared. I turned around and looked at this guy. He had a beard. And he said, hey, man, you just got to watch where you're going. I was like, thanks. And then I kind of, you know, checked myself to make sure yeah. all my limbs were there or whatever. And I turned around and the guy was gone. Now, I was at a network of a number of streets and something. He probably just turned a corner. Yeah, sure. You know? But when I went home to my girlfriend at the time, I told her about it. And she goes, oh, he was an angel. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and she believed it. She's like, you didn't see him after that. I said, no, he disappeared. She's like, well, see <laughs> proof, proof. There you go. He's an angel. You've had a run in with an angel, dude. Yeah. I, I think maybe she watched a little too much highway to heaven, which I got to say, I was pretty <laughs> guilty of as well. Did you watch that show? <laughs> I didn't watch that show. There wasn't really? enough. No, there wasn't enough, you know, demons in there for my liking. I know that eventually there were demons, weren't there? Like the devil shows up. At some yeah. Point. That's the thing that's funny. I was trying to imagine if you were pitching highway to heaven now, how quickly you get turned away. You're like, okay, my pitch is it's this angel that comes to earth and he helps people. <laughs> There's like, that's it. That's really all the show was. Yeah. Like people needed help and he'd show up and he'd, he'd help them out. Yeah. Now he would have to be like making meth or something like that. Wait, did, <laughs> did he have any, get a green light. <laughs> did he have any superpowers? Yeah. You know, I yes, he had some kind of superpowers, but he really had to get people to come around to their own. You know, he can guide people, but he couldn't really make them do anything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I wondered that frequently. I always thought, well, why doesn't he just like produce food for these people and leave, you know? Right. Get this episode out of the way right away. <laughs> but no, he had to teach them to farm or whatever. There you go. Of course. It yeah. Was, yeah, I liked it. I liked that show. But back to the story. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, there seems to be some strange implication that our protagonist is going to club this old guy to death, but doesn't at the insistence of the neighbor lady? Yeah, well, actually, I think the neighbor lady wants him to club the angel. Really? Yeah, it says, against the judgment of the wise neighbor woman, for whom angels in those times were the fugitive survivors of a celestial conspiracy, they did not have the heart to club him to death. Oh. So they didn't want to club him, the know-it-all lady wanted him to club him. Oh, my God. What's this celestial conspiracy? She's got some crazy ideas about, like, what's going on up there. Okay, yeah, I miss that. She thinks it's some kind of fugitive who's, like, laying low because, I don't know, he tried to fight against God or something. I, I guess because he's fallen, she thinks this must be... A minion of the devil, maybe. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. That's different. Yeah. <laughs> so Paleo says, well, you know, I don't think we're going to club him to death. Why don't we just put him <laughs> on a raft with three days rations? And then, you know, we'll see what happens to him. You know, like, he'll be on his own. That's yeah. give him a fair shake. But by the time they kind of decide that, there's a crowd that's showing up around the house because they want to see this guy with wings. So they decide they're going to stick him in a chicken coop. People come by and they look at him and they toss him things to eat uh, like it's kind of a zoo or something. After locking him up in the coop in the night, the rain stops and the child wakes up without a fever and has a desire to eat. Mm -hmm. So there's some kind of connection, I think, between this angel and the sick child. Right. But as you say, people start showing up. It turns into a circus or zoo and people don't seem too freaked out. No. You know, the whole neighborhood is in front of the chicken coop and instead of going these are the end times or whatever they're just having fun with him with it says without the slightest reverence tossing him things to eat through the openings in the wire as if he weren't a supernatural creature but a circus animal right i get these deep feelings of anger sometimes when i'm at the zoo seeing the way that people taunt the animals it seems to happen less in the more modern zoos i think the way that they're set up that people don't have an opportunity to do it but i do remember in the old days people were just trying to get animals to do stuff for them. Like, just leave them alone they're in a freaking i know they're mad because they're sleeping and they're like i want to see him get up and roar so <laughs> i actually had one of my most well executed haze of all time when i was at the zoo and there was this teenager who started flapping his jacket at this panther i went hey and he turned and looked at me like sheet white man i scared that kid i was like that's right i'm a grown-up now 
<laughs> I enforced the rules at the zoo and nobody asked me to. <laughs> yeah. Good job. People have some nutty ideas about what to do with the angel. It says the simplest among them thought he should be named mayor of the world. <laughs> Others of sterner mind felt that he should be promoted to the rank of five-star general in order to win all wars. Okay, that makes sense. Some visionaries hoped that he could be put to stud in order to implant the earth a race of winged wise men who could take charge of the universe. Makes perfect sense to me. So finally, a church authority, Father Gonzaga, shows up to see what all the hullabaloo is about. He goes into the coop and speaks to the old guy with wings in Latin, but he responds in the strange language that he's speaking. Father Gonzaga thinks he's an imposter because he doesn't speak the language of God. Also, the angel doesn't know how to greet. It says the angel didn't know how to greet his ministers. Yeah. So he doesn't know Latin. He doesn't know the proper way to greet a priest. And this line of thinking is really insane. Yeah. Like, why does the priest think he knows better? Yeah. I don't know what else is going on in this world, but I assume that he's been driven by faith his whole life. That's basically all you have as a priest. Sure. And now there's an angel, so he's got some proof. And right away, he's like, nah, it doesn't check out with what we've all relied on on faith. You know what I mean? It's yeah. Like, what? Why does he have more authority than this angel? It's strange. Well, also, the angel looks really human. Uh, he's got parasites on his wings. He smells bad. He's just not angelic as like one would think an angel would be. Right. But still, Father Gonzaga, he sends his report up the chain to the heads of the church. What are the, What do you think those parasites are? I think like probably ticks and things like that. I wonder what an angel parasite would go for at a like apothecary, you know? <laughs> Yeah, what can you I'm do? Sure, you could grind that up and probably give you a boner. Yeah, or I was thinking a potion of giant strength or something like that. Yeah, I'm sure that was my first thought as well. I, but I uh, the boner thing, you no, 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 I didn't mean to say that. I shouldn't have said that. Okay, he gives a brief sermon, the, the priest, after he comes out of the chicken coop to all the people who are around there. It says he warned the curious against the risks of being ingenuous. He reminded them that the devil had the bad habit of making use of carnival tricks in order to confuse the unwary. He argued that if wings were not the essential element in determining the difference between a hawk and an airplane, they were even less so in the recognition of angels. So he's actually saying this guy's not even an angel, probably. Well, yeah. I mean, if, if he was an angel, then that kind of undermines his authority. That's true. Yeah. So the priest's authority, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's like, no, this guy's not an angel. So we don't. I mean, not that anybody would understand what this guy is saying anyway, or that he seems to have any kind of power. He just kind of like laying around in a chicken coop. Well, he ends up saying what I hope somebody has said about me at some point in the past. He's no angel. <laughs> so uh, many. I hope somebody said that. That'd be cool. Pe- people are uh, showing up. <laughs> There's so many people that are showing up to see this guy with wings that Elisinda gets this idea to start charging people five cents a mission. And then over time, a carnival arrives with some supernatural people of their own. There's a guy who flies over the crowd. He's got wings himself, but people aren't impressed because he's got bat wings and not bird wings. I mean, they call him a flying acrobat. His wings were not those of an angel, but rather those of a bat. And I wondered, so if since this is a carnival, is, does he really have bat wings or is this just his costume? It could be. Uh, it's a little hard to say with this story because things are kind of surreal. Also, are this kid's acrobat parents going to get killed and he winds up becoming Robin? Oh, geez. Something else to think about. Yeah. People are also showing up hoping to get cured. They have some strange and surreal ailments. A Portuguese man who couldn't sleep because the noise of the stars disturbed him, and a sleepwalker who got up at night to undo all the things he had done while awake, and many other less serious ailments. So with all this attention, Paleo and Elisinda are making lots of money, and there are still people lined up to see this angel guy. What's the story with the Portuguese guy? The noise of the stars disturbed him. That's Lovecrafty sounding. Yeah. I, I don't think it's Cthulhu related. The story no. was written in 55 and not the 20s, although it could be set in the 20s. Maybe this is maybe this whole thing happened while uh, Cthulhu was rising up out of his hidden island. And so that's why the noise of the stars are disturbing <laughs> this uh, Portuguese man. 
<laughs> You're really stretching it together there, aren't you? I am. I so am. the old man with wings, he just does nothing. He just lays in this coop all the time. He sits there. He eats only mashed eggplant. People try to give him all kinds of other stuff to eat, but he just won't eat it. His only supernatural power seems to be his patience. Hens pick off the parasites and eat him. People throw rocks at him. Some sick people pluck his feathers in the hopes that the feathers will have some kind of healing property. There you go. And none of that seems to anger him until someone sticks him with a hot poker. Jeez. Then he awoke with a start, ranting in his hermetic language with tears in his eyes, and he flapped his wings a couple of times, which brought on a whirlwind of chicken dung and lunar dust and a gale of panic that did not seem to be of this world. But it says that his reactions seem to be more out of pain and not rage. What a bunch of jerks. Oh, yeah. You know, there's no mention of a physician, by the way. The priest has already come by. Why don't they get a doctor to come check this dude out? Well, later they do. Well, all right. The church finally shows up to do their proper investigation. Uh, they spend their time finding out if the prisoner had a navel, if his dialect had any connection with Aramaic, how many times he could fit on the head of a pin, or whether he was just a Norwegian with wings. Oh, he's just a Norwegian with wings. Like, that makes sense. Oh, That's yeah. a way to explain something away. So we get this side story of another carnival that shows up. And in this carnival is a woman who was changed into a spider because she disobeyed her parents. Seeing her is cheaper than seeing this winged guy. And you can talk to her and ask her about her condition and examine her. So basically, her story is this. As a teenager, she snuck out to go dancing with her friends. And when she was coming back, there was this clap of thunder and it turned her into a giant spider. This is starting to sound like a Poo Song Ling story. Yeah, it, it is. It's so odd. <laughs> There's this spider lady that just shows up. But it, then it says um, she was a frightful tarantula the size of a ram. Oh, my God. With the head of a sad woman. What was most heartrending, however, was not her outlandish shape, but the sincere affliction with which she recounted the details of her misfortune. Her only nourishment came from the meatballs that charitable souls chose to toss into her mouth. <laughs> Who are these charitable souls? I don't like, know. <laughs> they're like teenagers at work at the spaghetti house. Oh, man. Stuffing meatballs in their sleeves. But this thing about this... <laughs> but the spider girl is like a real miracle. It says a spectacle like that, full of so much human truth and with such a fearful lesson, was bound to defeat without even trying that, the spectacle of a haughty angel. Because it's just like, okay, he's got wings, but he's just some old guy. This is like a young lady that's a spider woman. <laughs> yeah. It's just more attractive. So she's getting all the business. A spider, a tarantula the size of a ram. That's huge, man. That's nightmare fuel. That is nightmare. With a girl's face. It's not like even a, a spider face. It's just, man, it's totally unnatural and messed up. The angel guy, there's a few minor miracles that might have come from him. They were a blind man who didn't recover his sight, but grew three new teeth. <laughs> and a paralytic who didn't get to walk, but almost won the lottery. Almost. Yeah. And a leper whose source sprouted sunflowers. That's nice. Th that's the real weird one. The other ones are just like, eh, whatever, but that one. Uh, but these things, you know, these crappy miracles finally really put people off and the crowds are actually dwindling and they stop showing up altogether. The miracles, I, I really like the blind man getting new teeth. That's hilarious. <laughs> that I could hear about miracles that didn't work all day. The rest of the story could just be about that. <laughs> deaf man went to the angel and came back. He was still deaf, but he had a second ass. <laughs> so <laughs> Paleo and Elisinda they're already rich. They don't care that the people aren't showing up anymore. They've expended their house. They make it crab-proof. <laughs> Alicinda gets some fancy clothes. Even with all these changes, the old guy is still in the chicken coop, and it still stinks. Uh, their kid, who's getting older now, starts to spend time down at the chicken coop, and he plays inside of it. The old guy is very patient with the kid, kind of like an old dog with a baby. You know, they could pull on their yeah. ears, and the dog doesn't do anything. <laughs> 
same business. And they also got chicken pox at the same time, which gave the doctor an excuse to finally, like, check out this old guy. When he listened to his heart, so much whistling in the heart and so many sounds in his kidneys that it seemed impossible for him to be alive. What surprised him most, however, was the logic of his wings. They seemed so natural on that completely human organism that he couldn't understand why other men didn't have them too. So when this kid finally starts school, uh, the coop finally collapses in the rain. Since he's got no more coop anymore, the old guy just kind of drags himself around the courtyard and then he starts popping up in places in the house. He turns into like a Bartleby kind of character. He just won't leave. He's everywhere you go. There he is. So Paleo keeps finding him all over the house in unlikely places like under the bed. Maybe he's teleporting himself. I don't know. He gives the old guy a blanket and he tells him to stay in the shed. Most folks don't think he's going to make it through the winter. But he does. Yeah, the angel is sick most of the time. At night, they say he has a temperature. Mm. So visit to Earth is not good for him. He's almost like E.T. or something like that. Uh, but in the spring, some of his feathers start to grow back. One morning, Elisinda was cutting some bunches of onions for lunch when a wind that seemed to come from the high seas blew into the kitchen. Then she went to the window and caught the angel in his first attempts at flight. They were so clumsy that his fingernails opened a furrow in the vegetable patch and he was on the point of knocking the shed down with the ungainly flapping that slipped on the light and couldn't get a grip on the air. But he did manage to gain altitude. Elisinda let out a sigh of relief, for herself and for him, when she watched him pass over the last houses, holding himself up in some way with the risky flapping of a senile vulture. She kept watching, even when she was through cutting the onions, and she kept on watching until it was no longer possible for her to see him, because then he was no longer an annoyance in her life, but an imaginary dot on the horizon of the sea. And that's the end of uh, this story. What do you think this story is saying? Is it about how if somebody frames a narrative, that narrative has more power than the actual truth? Being that they're like, this guy's an angel, but he's just kind of a dude with wings. Yeah, maybe. You know, I got to be honest. I really don't know what the story is saying. <laughs> I love the title. Yeah. Uh, and I was fascinated by it while I was reading it. Me too. And I thought there must be something more profound underneath it. But I wasn't quite sure what that was. Mm. I do think that there is something in that this is a an angel-like being that is still deferential to the authority of the church, mm -hmm. which I thought was odd. I don't know about the carnival and the spider girl, though. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was an odd. She was just punished for one little infraction by getting a spider body for the rest of her life. That seemed kind of severe. Yeah. And certainly it means that there are vengeful, magical gods or a, a god that will do that type of thing right. in this world or something that will do that yeah and then the fact that the couple they're just like it's some dude with wings initially they thought that and then the neighbor lady said oh no it's an angel we gotta go deal with it as you deal with angels <laughs> kill it or call the priest and the couple's like yeah whatever and then once they realize they can make some money off of it they're totally into it yeah it does you know the angel lands and then they make their fortune and when they've gotten their money and crap proof to the house he flies off into it is kind of a highway to heaven episode, in a way. <laughs> these people need crap proof right yeah i guess so i mean there's been a lot of i read a bunch of different things about it and none uh, the things that i read none of them stood out to me like okay yeah that's it for sure <laughs> yeah i'll be honest i went and i started reading some analysis as well and even though it was well written i thought you guys don't have a clue either <laughs> 
I don't care how many degrees you got. I mean, this this story is pretty famous. I didn't realize how famous. I mean, it has its own Wikipedia entry that is quite long. Yeah, yeah. And I never uh, heard of this. I, I'm sure that Marquez is a literary figure that's well known throughout the world. Oh, um, yeah. Just since we're stupid Americans and he didn't write in English, we don't know so much about him. <laughs> well, this story, I don't even think was translated into English for about 20 years. Oh, uh, yeah. I, think, I, mean, I don't think it was until the 70s that uh, English readers got, got a hold of this one. I liked it a lot, oh, but again, yeah. I, I unfortunately I don't have a lot of uh, insight, and I would love to hear from folks about what they think this is yeah. about. Yeah, it gave me lots of feelings, though. Yeah, and it definitely had a beginning, middle, and end. Like I enjoyed the read. The surreality of it gave me feelings. It felt a little like almost Lynchian in a way. Sure. Well, you know, and also it it has these magical elements, but then they are very realistic. Is it you know that the angel has parasites on his wings? Yeah, and he's dirty, and then he's not that fun. <laughs> he just kind of lays there. <laughs> that that fun. stuff. It's very specific, and the way that people react, they react in, in very human ways. Instead of right, uh, this turning into some kind of epic story, they're more like, yeah, I'll pay five cents to see that guy. Yeah, and then they'll throw food at him or some rocks to try and get him to and they move. throw some rocks at. Yeah, it's very strange. It did make me feel a lot of things, and I felt bad for that girl who got turned into a giant spider. I do too. She wanted to go dance. You got to defy your parents once in a while, and especially if it's to go dance. I mean, come on. And that's all she was doing. She was going on dancing. She wasn't like going out to you know rob a liquor store or anything like that. It would be cool though if in Footloose everybody in the end when they were they're doing the dance suddenly all got turned into giant spiders. That would be a much different movie and maybe better. That might be the only way to improve on that. That would be classic film. That would definitely be an improvement on that film. And it's a good film. <laughs> it's a good one. But if it ended that way, then John Lithgow could finally go. Oh, I was no. right. I was right. That's right, Lithgow. <laughs> You fools, you should have listened to me. Why didn't you listen? Oh, boy. <laughs> the perfect conclusion to that film. So Yeah, that they would be They missed a trick on that one. Uh, Dirty Dancing also. Why didn't Baby get turned into a giant spider? <laughs> Nobody turns Baby into a spider. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, stupid. boy. A tarantula, a giant tarantula. Yeah, but with the human face, too. That's, that's even extra creepy about it. Well, I think uh, we're definitely veering away from any more insight that we might have into the story. So this is a good place to close it all up. I want to thank Andrew Staten for reading for us. Always enjoy having him on the show. He reads like an angel. If you get a chance, check him out. He's got a little scene in this new movie, The Toy Box, with Misha Barton and Denise Richards. That, again, uh, comes out on digital and Blu-ray on September 18th. Pick that up. We'll hopefully have Andrew back again in the future. Thanks so much for reading. Yeah. And I also want to thank our listener, John Hartwell, who recommended the story and also recommended the story we're going to be covering next week, which once again is Three Skeleton Key by George G. Tudus. Uh, so that's what's up for next week of Squid Timber. And with Adam Chris Lackey, I'm Chad Pfeiffer. And you've been listening to the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast at hppodcraft.com and Patreon. HPPodcraft.com. Ah!